Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9 and 17 through 29. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. God's word for God's people. Good morning. You're going to have to bear with me this morning. I'm a little under the weather, but I believe that God has a message for us, and my runny nose is not going to stop that. So <laughs> um, may he be glorified this morning. The topic that the Lord has put on my heart to talk about today is the most important, perhaps the most important topic in the Christian faith. It is the topic of grace. I'm confident that everyone in here has heard the word grace before. I'm even confident that most of you have an idea of what grace is or could give me a definition of grace. A simple definition of grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Sometimes you'll hear people contrast grace with mercy. Mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. For example, because of our sin, we deserve eternal separation from God. 
But because of God's mercy in Christ Jesus, we don't have to face eternal separation from God. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. We don't deserve anything good from God, yet God pours out blessings on us, such as life, health, laughter, and friendship. Grace. Most of us have a good head understanding of what it is, but today I want us to get a good heart understanding. It's one thing to know the definition of grace, but it's another thing to be overwhelmed in your heart by the idea of God's grace to the point that you are ready and willing to pour out grace on everyone you meet. I'm talking about our hearts being changed today, and there's only one who can change our hearts. So please pray with me for God to work in our hearts today. God, we thank you so much for your incredible grace. Please come and change us today. Please help us to understand how amazing your grace is so that we can be inspired to go out and pour out grace on others. In Jesus' name, amen. So I titled this message, The Insanity of Christianity. To be honest, a better title might have simply been Grace. I was trying to come up with an intriguing title, and you can't blame me for that. But I didn't deceive you completely because grace is what makes Christianity insane. Grace is the insanity of Christianity. So the first part of this message is simply going to be me attempting to explain the insane grace of God. To do this, I'm going to need you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and picture yourself in a courtroom. You are the one on trial. You are being tried for all that you have done wrong in your entire life. Consider how many lies you think you have told. Hundreds, thousands, millions. Consider all your impure thoughts. How many times have you made snap judgments about other people? How many times have you lusted after someone? How many times have you harbored resentment, jealousy, or bitterness toward other people? Have you ever wished bad things upon someone? How often have you had prideful and selfish thoughts? Consider all your impure words. How many times have you taken God's name in vain? Hundreds? Thousands? Millions? Consider the seriousness of using the name of the God who gave you life as a cuss word. How many times have you used your words to hurt someone else, whether it be through insult or gossip? Consider how many times you have left good undone. How often have you been apathetic to the needs of others? How often have you closed your eyes to the needy and afflicted? How many days have you spent building yourself up and failing to do any good to others? Keep your eyes closed 
Imagine that these questions only take up one page out of a million pages full of questions about the wrongs that you have done. Imagine that your fine for these wrongdoings is so large that you have no hope of paying it. Therefore, your sentence will be eternal torment and separation from all goodness. You cannot defend yourself. There isn't any point in protesting or even speaking because as you look at the pages, you know that they are all true. Consider the weight of that moment. Now, imagine that just as the judge is about to order your sentence, a man that you do not know rises and vows to pay your fine for you so that you can go free. Imagine that this man sells everything that he owns and gives his entire life to servanthood so that he can pay your fine. Because this man pays your fine, the judge lets you go completely free. You can open your eyes now. That is a picture of God's grace. I stand completely guilty before God because I have knowingly and without hesitation broken God's perfect law over and over and over again. The sentence that I unarguably deserve is eternal torment and separation from God. Yet before I even knew him, Jesus Christ gave his everything by leaving the glories of heaven to live a life in this messed up world and die the most painful death on the cross so that he could pay my fine and set me free from my eternal death sentence. What could I ever do to deserve that? Someone say it. Nothing. Nothing. That is God's grace. And you know what? That's not even it because not only do I not deserve my salvation, I deserve no good thing. I don't. God created me and gave me life, yet I rebelled against him. What good thing do I deserve? Even if I had not rebelled against God, he doesn't owe me anything. I deserve no good thing. I believe that the number one question that skeptics of Christianity ask is this. If God is all powerful and all good, how come bad stuff happens? Guarantee everyone in this room has heard some form of that question at some point. I believe one of the best answers that I've heard to that question is by a preacher and apologist named Vody Whenever anyone asks him that question, he'll look at him and he'll say, I'll answer that question when you ask it properly. Of course, they're like, well, what do you mean? And Bauckham says, here's how you ask that question properly. How on earth could a holy and righteous God allow humanity to experience anything good? You see, we have it backwards when we question why there's so much bad in the world instead of questioning why there is so much good that we don't deserve. Think about the beauty and laughter and friendship and health that we can experience in this world. Think about the thrill of watching a child take its first steps. The sweet taste of a piece of fruit. The security you feel when being hugged by a loved one. The beauty of a sunset. We have done nothing to deserve all these good things. 
They are simply the result of God's grace. And by the way, none of the bad things that we experience come from God. Humanity is responsible for all the bad, and God is responsible for all the good. God has shown grace to all humanity, but how much more grace do believers experience? Look back at our passage in 1 Corinthians at verses 4 through 9. Notice that as Paul lifts up this prayer of thanksgiving for the Corinthians, it is all about what God has done for them. Paul never mentions any good works that the Corinthians have done. He simply praises God for the grace that he has shown them. And the same grace has been given to us. We have been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. God is faithful. We are not lacking in any spiritual gift. We are enriched in him. God will make us blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus. So much grace. God not only has poured out unbelievable grace on us, but continues to pour out grace on us every day by giving us his presence and his blessings. Just whisper to him, God, thank you so much for your grace. Grace does not make sense. Or as our passage for today puts it, grace is foolish. The word foolish is used six times in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Six times! This passage repeatedly calls both Christians and their message foolishness. Yes, you heard me correctly. The Bible itself calls Christians foolish. But the point is that we are foolish in the eyes of the world. From a worldly standpoint, the idea of grace makes absolutely no sense. Love, respect, and favor, these are things that must be earned, not freely given to criminals and enemies. The one thing that most clearly separates Christianity from all other world religions is that the goal of all other religions is to earn God's favor and ultimately eternal life. Christianity is the only religion that is foolish enough to say, you can't do nothing. There ain't nothing you can do to earn God's favor so God freely gives it. God freely gives it to those who will give up the fight and say, I am hopelessly separated from God. I am trusting alone in God's grace through Jesus Christ to save me. Grace does not make sense. It doesn't make sense that the king of the world would die to save the criminals of the world. It doesn't make sense that the Messiah, the one who will rule the world, came to serve the least of these. It doesn't make sense that God would chase after the weak, the screw-ups, the ones that everyone else has given up on, the ones who have rebelled against him and ran from his loving arms over and over. But this is our God. This is grace, and grace is foolish. I had the privilege of going with the youth to Washington, D.C. last month. On the third night we were there, we met a man named James and he shared his testimony with us. James was abandoned by his mother when he was born and he spent his life being sent from one foster home to the next. James spent much of his life in homelessness and by the time he reached adulthood, he could barely read and had the equivalent of a fifth grade education. He was addicted to drugs and alcohol. Through a series of circumstances, God led James to a Christian ministry, which helped him to get sober and find a good job. James remained sober for 15 years and was even able to buy his own home and his own truck. But after 15 years of being sober, 
James relapsed. He ended up spending all he had on drugs and ended up on the street again. He went back to the Christian ministry that had helped him before, and they gave him another chance. He now lives at that ministry and works there, helping the other residents. James was so full of joy the entire time he was talking to us. He never once blamed God for the terrible things that had happened to him. Instead, he was amazed that even though he continually made bad decisions and ran from God, God kept chasing him. I don't know if James ever said the word grace while he was talking, but as I was listening, that was the only word I could think. James is the perfect example of what Paul is talking about in this passage. Listen again to verses 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. No one in the world cared about James. No one even knew he existed. He was just a drug addict on the street. Yet God pursued him. How foolish is God? God could have chased after a respected scientist, a politician, a professor at Yale, but no, he chased after James the drug addict on the street. Do you see how insane God's grace is? When we hear about God's grace, we can respond in two ways. We can fall on our knees and worship him, or we can resent him. We have a couple biblical examples of people who resented God's grace, such as Jonah and the brother of the prodigal son. The thing is, you can resent God, for pouring out love and mercy on those who don't deserve it. Or you can humble yourself and realize that you are the one in need of grace. Remember at the beginning of this message, I mentioned that I wanted us to move from a head understanding of grace to a heart understanding. A heart understanding of grace is that you fall on your knees in awe that God would chase after you. That God would pour anything good into your life. A heart understanding of grace is that you truly believe you are the one on trial, in the courtroom, in desperate need of the man to step forward and give his everything to pay your fine. And a heart understanding of grace is that you truly believe Jesus did step forward to pay your fine. The scripture says in Luke 6.45 that our actions display what is in our heart. And I think there are two main evidences of those who have a heart understanding of grace. First, a heart understanding of grace causes a person to have an attitude of thankfulness in all things and to refuse to complain about anything. How could I ever complain about the high price of textbooks, the fact that I didn't get enough dipping sauce for my chicken nuggets, or the fact that my laptop takes a long time to power on, if I understand that I have been graciously saved from eternal torment? I hear way too many petty complaints coming out of my mouth and the mouths of other Christians, and it needs to stop today. How could we ever complain about anything, even the worst of circumstances, let alone such small annoyances, if we truly understand the insane grace that has been shown us? 
If you have a heart understanding of grace, you don't take anything for granted because you realize you don't deserve anything good. Second, a heart understanding of grace causes a person to pour out grace on others. And pouring out grace requires so much more than donating food to the food pantry or throwing 20 bucks in the offering plate. The thing is, if it doesn't seem insane, then it doesn't count as pouring out grace. Pouring out grace means giving up your rights for someone who doesn't deserve it. It means canceling debts or not pressing charges. It means showing love to the man on the street, whether he's a good man who fell upon hard times or a drug addict who's facing the consequences of his poor decisions. It means doing something to bless the lazy, rude employee at Walmart. It means letting the noisy neighborhood kids play in your yard even if they trash it and drive you crazy. It means praying for your enemies and desiring good for them. It means showing unconditional love to everyone, both strangers and those closest to you. And it means going above and beyond to love and serve others, even when they criticize you and mistreat you. Grace is sacrificial. And oftentimes it is not rewarding or appreciated because that's the nature of grace. Grace is for those who don't deserve it and oftentimes don't appreciate it. So why even do it? Why pour out grace on others? The answer is, how can we not? How can we possibly not respond to the incredible, insane, foolish grace that God has given us? When you truly understand how unworthy you are of God's grace, how could you possibly think that anyone is unworthy of yours? And how can you possibly not share this good news of grace with everyone you possibly can? Maybe you're here today and you're beginning to understand grace for the first time. Maybe for the first time you're realizing that there's nothing you can do to earn God's love or favor. That your church attendance, offerings, and kindness to others aren't making God love you anymore. On the contrary, you are hopelessly separated from God. If that is you today, what you need to do is give up trying to earn God's favor, trust alone in God's grace through Jesus Christ to save you and surrender your life to Jesus. I believe this will be the best decision you ever make, but I also must warn you, it's gonna cause you to do some insane things because that's what grace does to you. Maybe you're here today and you've already made the decision to follow Jesus, but you don't see enough of those two evidences of a heart understanding of grace in your life. If that is you, join God in asking me to help him not let another complaint ever come out of my mouth and begging, begging him to give me an opportunity to sacrificially pour out grace on someone who doesn't deserve it. Because the thing about grace is, it's meant to be paid forward, not paid back.